MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, June 24th, 2020. Today, the House Energy and Commerce Committee takes testimony from top coronavirus task force officials. Bill Barr is going to be subpoenaed by Jerry Nadler to testify to the House Judiciary Committee. Hospitals are running out of room nationwide as Trump continues to say he wants to slow down testing in order to falsify the number of COVID cases. Parscale shit the bed, according to Vanity Fair. The woman accused of killing her sex trafficker is freed on bail after two years. The European Union may bar American travelers beginning July 1st because of our failure to contain coronavirus. The FDA warns of a toxic hand sanitizer. Ron Jeremy is charged with sexual assault and rape. Trump returns to Arizona Tuesday as cases of coronavirus rise. The primary is underway in Kentucky and a sneak peek into former Roger Stone prosecutor Aaron Zelensky's testimony tomorrow. And it is big. I am your host, A.G. Hey, everybody, we have a massive show today. I'm going to be joined by Jordan Coburn later from news uh, from under the radar. And uh, I'll be discussing Jerry Nadler's subpoena of Bill Barr later in the show with Ellie Honig. We want to take a moment to thank our patrons. Uh, you are keeping this show alive during COVID. Head to patreon.com slash the Daily Beans if you can swing it uh, and join us or email us uh, from our contact page on our website if you're interested in sponsoring someone who might not be able to afford a premium account at this time. Uh, we will work it out. Patrons, you get early access to our Friday live stream happy hour as well as our book club and bonus content episodes, a newsletter, and you get these episodes early and ad-free. So check it out. Uh, all right, that out of the way, we do have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, so Dr. Fauci and Redfield and others testified before the House Energy and Commerce Committee today in a high-profile hearing about coronavirus, and we learned some troubling things uh, that we actually already knew. So let's go over those key points, though. First, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Redfield, uh, and this is in no particular order, just sort of as they struck me, uh, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Redfield denied that Trump told them to slow down testing, despite Trump saying he has multiple times since March. And most notably in his Tulsa hate picnic this past weekend, I hate to call it a rally because there are only like a handful of people there. Uh, he said uh, he told the task force to slow down testing to make sure his numbers, you know, were more favorable for the economy and his reelection. Uh, several White House aides gaslit us all, told we we were crazy and stupid for not realizing that Trump was just joking. But of course, Trump has doubled and tripled down in interviews on Monday and Tuesday, saying he did tell the administration to slow down testing. But Fauci and Redfield denied it today under oath. So someone is lying. Um, probably the most significant takeaway from today's hearing was Dr. Fauci just fully contradicting Trump because Trump has said the coronavirus is slowing down, it's disappearing, it's, it'll be gone uh, before we know it. But Fauci says no. Uh, the next two weeks will be crucial in our fight against community spread and keeping the curve flat, which is on the rise exponentially in many areas. Fauci reiterated that the country is still in the first wave of the pandemic, and he was joined by Redfield, uh, who is the director of Centers for Disease Control, and Stephen Hahn, he's the head of the FDA, and Brett Girard, Girard, Grier, Rico Suave, Assistant Secretary for Health. Um, Fauci told the committee uh, he does not regret pushing Americans to wear face masks. In a heated exchange with West Virginia Republican David McKinley, who asked Fauci if he regrets not advising people more forcefully to wear masks, 
Uh, Fauci, first of all, was not pleased with the question. He said, okay, we're going to play that game. Let me explain to you what happened back then. Um, after McKinley interrupted and said, simple yes or no will do, Fauci shot back, no, there's more than a yes or no by the tone of your question. I don't regret that because let me explain to you what happened. At the time, there was a, a paucity of equipment that our healthcare providers needed. We did not want to divert masks and PPE away from them to be used by the people. Now that we have enough, we recommend wearing masks. Um, okay, you know how I feel about that. Um, Fauci also had a tense exchange with McKinley earlier. Uh, when the Republican lawmaker asked him whether he believes Trump is being treated fairly by the media regarding his handling of the pandemic. Fauci first objected to the question, dismissing it as unfair. He eventually responded in broad terms without mentioning Trump specifically. He said, it depends on what you mean. I work in the White House and I believe that everyone there is doing everything they possibly can. Okay. Uh, another interesting exchange came from, uh, when Redfield was asked how often he meets with the president, and he wouldn't answer the f question. He's the Florida Democrat, Kathy Castor, asked Redfield how frequently he interacts directly uh, with Trump. And Redfield said, well, I have regular interactions as part of the White House task force as a member. Uh, as, it, as it relates to my interactions directly with the president, I'm going to keep those between myself and the president. Um, so it wasn't like he danced around it. He said, I'm not fucking telling you. Uh, of note, Fauci said in a radio interview last week that he hadn't spoken to the president in nearly two weeks. Um, but the stunner, like I said, was when Fauci directly contradicted Trump. Fauci said several states, including Texas, Florida, and Arizona, were seeing disturbing a disturbing surge of new infections, adding that the next couple of weeks are going to be critical in our ability to address those surges. Contrary to statements from President Trump and Vice President Pence that the recent increase in infections is just due to an increase in testing, Fauci said no. The surges in more than a dozen states were largely attributed to an increase in community transmission, so directly contradicting Pence and Trump. Quote, a couple of days ago, there were 30,000 new infections. That's very disturbing to me, Fauci said. Uh, Fauci urged young people who might be tempted to resume their normal lives because they believe it's unlikely they will get seriously ill from the virus to consider the impact they could have on the outbreak across the country. Like, think beyond yourselves. Quote, even though the overwhelming majority then do well, uh, what you can't forget is that if you get infected and spread the infection, even though you don't get sick, you're part of a process of the dynamics of an outbreak. What you might be propagating, perhaps innocently, is that you infect someone who infects someone who then infects someone who is vulnerable. Uh, in another exchange, Kentucky Republican Brett Guthrie asked the panel if schools can open in the fall. It is breathtaking. How stupid that question is, considering what we know of coronavirus and that in different areas of the country, we're experiencing different waves of infection. Uh, it's like he thinks that CONUS is a small town. CONUS is the contiguous United States, is a small town, and we can just do everything all at once or not at all. Um, quote, what's it going to look like in August? Are kids going to go back to school? Redfield and Fauci responded as imagined that the decision on whether to reopen schools will need to be made by local jurisdictions based on their own situation. You stupid idiot. Yeah, no shit. This is what we've been saying since February when Doug and before when Doug McNeil appeared on Maddow and told us all of these infections were going to hit different regions at different times. Then what's good for New York in June might not be good for Arizona. Uh, this is what happens when you elect Republicans who think government is stupid. You get an in ineffectual government and hundreds of thousands of people die uh because well let the states deal with it oh can the states have money no uh, we're not a you know we're not a store what do they say we're not a delivery service or whatever the hell he said it's, it's absolute bullshit just 
it is the worst possible time to have this government in place. The Illinois Democrat, uh, Bobby Rush, asked about the systemic and institutional racism and if they had contributed to the disproportional impact COVID has had on communities of color. And Fauci said, well, I mean, obviously, the African-American community has suffered from racism for a very, very long period of time. Uh, And I cannot imagine, he says, that it has not contributed to the conditions that they find themselves in economically and otherwise. So the answer, Congressman, is yes. Um, This answer contradicts Republican assertions, including the president's, that there is no systemic racism. Barr even said this. And if black people are, uh, you know, contracting and dying of COVID in larger numbers, it must be because of their lifestyle. That's their message. That is the Republican message. And as one Republican state rep from Ohio put it, who was an ER doc until he was fucking fired for his racist remarks, said perhaps the colored population aren't as good as at washing their hands. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how Fauci's assertion that institutional racism has not only played a role, but is likely the main reason for the disproportionate impact. And we'll see how that juxtaposes with Trump in the coming days. I'm sure we'll see some tweets. Fauci also said he was cautiously optimistic that a vaccine will be available by early next year. Uh, The government is providing extensive financial support to 14 vaccine candidates. Uh, Quote, although you can never guarantee at all the safety and efficacy of a vaccine until you've tested it in the field, we feel cautiously optimistic based on the concerted effort and the fact that we're taking financial risks to be able to be ahead of the game so that when we get a favorable candidate with good results, we'll be able to make them available to the American public within a year of when officials began researching a vaccine, which was mid-January. As more news comes out about this hearing, we will keep you posted. And speaking of coronavirus, Trump is planning on visiting Arizona today to have a rally at a megachurch that claims in a video that one of their members has invented a machine that kills 99.9% of coronavirus. So their rally will be totally safe. Uh, Watching little pieces of it, um, everybody lined up, no masks, sitting shoulder to shoulder. Um, This visit comes as cases and hospitalizations in Arizona are spiking, breaking records from, from Arizona Central President Donald Trump touchdown in Yuma just before 11 a.m., that's right on the border of California, uh, Tuesday, uh, today, to mark the completion of 200-plus miles of border wall ahead of his Phoenix rally, which that's not new wall. Uh, Dozens of supporters (laughs) and a few protesters braved the heat to greet him, dozens. And after a roundtable in Yuma, the president headed to San Luis to tour the wall, after which he would head to Phoenix. And despite Phoenix's ordinance requiring face coverings in public, the line at the Trump rally, as I said, largely unmasked. Although there was a table outside the church selling masks for five bucks. Meanwhile, Arizona reported almost 3,600 new cases of COVID Tuesday, another record high number in the state's daily report. The daily hospitalizations exceeded 2,000 for the first time, and that was ahead of Trump's visit today. According to AZ Central, inpatient beds, ICU beds, and ventilators in use for suspected and confirmed COVID patients all hit their highest ever numbers Monday, according to Tuesday's report. Emergency department visits tied the previous high from Sunday with more than 1,200. The highest jump came in inpatient hospital beds with 2,136 beds occupied by suspected and confirmed COVID patients Monday compared with 1,992 on Sunday. Another 42 deaths were reported Tuesday in Arizona, according to the updated uh, update provided by the Arizona Department of Health Services. And more than 3,000 new cases have been reported on three of the past five days. More than 2,000 new cases have been reported on each of the past six days, and more than 1,000 have been reported on each of the past 14. Uh, during the past three weeks, cases increased by 174%, while tests increased just by 85%, suggesting spikes in cases 
are not due to increased testing. It's in, due to increased community spread. Trump's event uh, is planned at the Dream City Church in North Phoenix. It's on Cave Creek. I used to be able to see it when I was hiking on Lookout Mountain. It was organized by Students for Trump, which said the theme of the president's speech will be an address to America's youth. <laughs> and this big news just in. The European Union is considering closing its borders to American travelers as of July 1st because of our botched handling of coronavirus and our government's total ineptitude in containing it. So now we have, of course, Trump's one claim to fame, which is also a lie, that he shut down travel early from China to save us all. We are now that. We are now being, uh, we are being shut down for travel to the EU because our numbers are so terrible. We, are, we, we make up 25% of the cases and 25% of the deaths in the world, yet we only have 4% of the population. Uh, our curve is on the way up, and it looks like it's getting exponential, as it did in the beginning, as we've talked about this whole time. As we've said, you have to stay home. You have to continue social distancing. You need to wear a mask. I know I am preaching to the choir, um, but, you know, I just want you to be mad with me. So, anyway, that is uh, the lead, and we will be right back with news from under the radar with Jordan. So stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG, and this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Ritual. We all want to do the right thing to keep our bodies healthy, especially right now and in the long run. But even if we really try hard to eat kale salads and drink smoothies, uh, we're still most likely not getting all the essential nutrients we need on a daily basis. That's why I want to share with you my new ritual, the obsessively researched vitamin for women called Ritual. Ritual's Essentials has the nutrients most of us don't get enough of from food, all in their clean, absorbable forms. There's no shady additives or ingredients that can do more harm than good. And there are two easy-to-take capsules uh, that provide nine nutrients that you need to support a strong foundation for your health. Uh, Ritual Essential for Women is the ultimate multivitamin to help fill in the gaps in a woman's diet from D3s to omega-3s. Their no-nausea capsule design is gentle on an empty stomach, and there's a mint tab in every bottle to keep things fresh so you don't have that fishy aftertaste common with most uh, omega-3s. Ritual uses vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free ingredients and is delivered directly to your door. A subscription is easy to start, and it's easy to snooze, and it's only a dollar a day to have all the essential nutrients your body needs. Uh, no strings attached. Um, I-, I started taking Ritual a year and a half ago. I intermittently fast, and I do paleo, so I miss a lot of nutrients. And so Ritual really fills in those gaps for me, and I take them daily, and I feel more energy. Uh, I-, I feel like I have more focus. It's just it's it's a really, really great product. And right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps build and support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit ritual.com slash daily beans to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash daily beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is time for News Under the Radar. And joining me for the B Block today is Jordan Coburn. Jordan, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing good today. Um, You know, just pushing through the yes. days yep <laughs> as they happen <laughs> totally that's the only way to do days <laughs> L- live them yeah live, yep just 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 them. do them yep gotta go through it mm-hmm. all right well uh first up uh, i wanted to talk about current justice department prosecutor aaron Zelensky and uh, the the 
press got a hold of his opening statements. This usually happens when somebody testifies in front of a committee in, in, in Congress. You'll get their opening statements. They'll, they'll be leaked to the press or they'll be given to the press. And we got Zelensky and Elias's opening statement. Uh, and he is planning to tell the House Judiciary Wednesday that in his many years in government, quote, I have never seen political influence play any role in a prosecutorial decision make in prosecutorial decision making with one exception the US v Roger Stone um in his written opening statement he said uh he heard Stone received different treatment because of his relationship to the president and that the US attorney in DC was quote receiving heavy pressure from the highest levels of the Department of Justice to cut Stone a break i read that to mean Jesse Liu who was tricked out of her job when promised a position at the Treasury only to have the nomination withdrawn by Trump on her way over to her new office, um, that she was pressured by Barr to go easy on Stone. Um, Zelensky goes on to say, I was also told that the acting U.S. acting U.S. attorney was giving Stone such unprecedentedly favorable treatment because he was afraid of the president. I take that to mean Tim Shea. Uh, was giving Stone unprecedentedly favorable treatment because he was afraid of Trump. Uh, Tim Shea is now the acting head of the DEA uh, and was, you know, told to spy on protesters. <laughs> and the Air Force is investigating that. So Zelensky described, quote, significant pressure to water down and in some cases outright distort the events that transpired in Stone's trial and the criminal conduct that gave rise to his conviction. Zelensky says he understands the Justice Department may wish to shield certain facts from him about the case, and he says in many cases he will respect the DOJ's assertion of legal privilege, but, he added, quote, the deliberative process privilege does not apply when testimony sheds light on government misconduct or when the government has disclosed deliberative information selectively and misleadingly. Uh, ain't that a bitch. <laughs> that tells me Zelensky's gonna tell us when there was government misconduct and when they had disclosed deliberative information selectively and misleadingly. They cherry-picked, right? Mm -hmm. um, to the, the other whistleblower testifying, John Elias, who works in antitrust, he will be discussing two sets of concerns where he feared, quote, abuse of authority, gross waste of funds, and gross mismanagement. Uh, the first involved a directive by Bill Barr to launch 10 full-scale reviews of mergers taking place in the marijuana industry. Mm. Uh, Elias says they did not meet the established criteria for such probes. And uh, this makes me wonder about Lev and Igor. Remember how they were in the marijuana business mm -hmm. uh, through fraud guarantee? I'm wondering if that had anything to do with that. Yeah. The second concern uh, was an investigation in uh, the antitrust division. They, they initiated four days after Trump tweeted criticisms of an arrangement between California and four automakers on fuel emission standards. Elias says the investigation was open under atypical process and without considering what defenses the auto companies might raise. It ended up closing without charges in February of this year, but it sounds like Elias is saying that that was fraudulently brought by Bill Barr. So the hearing should be pretty explosive considering Zelensky's willingness to testify about government misconduct. We will cover it for you. So that is a little bit on the breaking news side from news from under the radar. Jordan, what updates do you have for us? Uh, I've got a, a few stories. My first story is coming out of the case of Crystal Kaiser. She's a 19-year-old who is looking at facing life in prison because she murdered her sex trafficker. And there's cases like this that happen over and over again where women are escaping a violent sexually violent uh situation and they act out against their attacker or their abuser and then they wind up getting thrown in jail sometimes for the rest of their life oftentimes for the rest of their life and what's really i think great about 
this headline that I'm about to read is that it's also tied into the Justice for George Floyd movement. So what has happened is she was freed from a Wisconsin jail Monday after she's been in jail for two years awaiting trial. Her bond was $400,000 and it was paid by the Chicago Community Bond Fund. And they're a group that's been flooded with donations from people supporting the George Floyd protesters that when we talk about, you know, supporting bail funds, and the importance of that, it's often in the context of getting the protesters out of jail that were thrown in there, you know, for peacefully protesting. But when you have one of the things that these funds do is also help people like Crystal. So there was a really great unintended consequence, uh, really, here for, for this person who who's just, I think, 100% uh, does not deserve to be in prison for killing her attacker. That's just yeah. how I feel about that. That might be controversial, uh, but <laughs> not not here, not yeah. not on this pod because we talked about this uh, when it happened when she was put in jail for murdering her sex trafficker, her pimp, right? And it's like, w- w- how is that even a thing? Like, mm-hmm. uh, when you okay, let's say you're trafficked, you're trapped, you're in this horrible thing where you're beaten and put out on the street every night and all your money is taken and then you're continually abused and raped. And then let's say, you know, you work up the courage to to fucking murder the person who's doing this to you. That should be like a hooray, um, not a, oh, you're going to jail. Um, That seems like, although, I mean, I guess it's not imminent self-defense because maybe at that very second she wasn't being attacked, but being brutally she actually was in this story yeah and so there you go like what the fuck how is that even a thing so i'm glad she's out on bail i can't even believe that this case hasn't even been dismissed yet um yeah but yeah uh, it just kind of goes to show equal justice under the law Mm -hmm. is not a thing her abuser is a white man randall p was i should say he's dead now uh randall p voller he's 30 he was 34 and this happened in june of 2018 and so what he was also doing was grooming other black women for sex acts and providing them with gifts and payment and, you know, very similar to what I see in the Epstein story, which is getting young women that are vulnerable and abusing them sexually in return for what are truly minuscule gifts, uh, mm-hmm. but but to someone that is young, and that's exactly why or I should say one of the reasons it's such criminally predatory behavior, is that to them, it's something that they really need in that moment. And it's leveraging that against them. And it's absolutely disgusting. And this guy was pinning her down at the time that she got a a gun and shot him to death. So, like you said, yeah, it should be. And on this podcast, we're pro-murder your rapist if they're attacking you. Yeah, which I say slightly, I I say that slightly facetiously, but I I use that argument all the time too when people try to do the both sides, you know, uh, argument when Trump supporters try to do the oh well you're violent and looting and Antifa or whatever, and it's like yeah but they're they're protesting oppression they're not the oppressors a. And then I'm saying, like, that's like you saying that because I kicked my rapist in the dick, I'm a violent person yep. and I should go to jail. I'm just as bad as my rapist. And I'm like, no, 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 no. So I'm not at all. Uh, sh- this is um, 
I'm glad that, you know, she's out and she should have never been in in the first place. So. Yes. And obviously advocating for murdering a rapist is a hashtag that probably won't be trending uh, for, for various <laughs> reasons. But it's important to note that nobody just... Uh, well, this isn't a true statement. Not nobody. Most people don't want to murder someone. That's not a thing... No. That is just in their heart of hearts. You know, most people don't just have a natural, intuitive inkling for murder. Oftentimes, mm -hmm. it's because they have no other way out. And that's exactly what the statement reflected by Sherilyn Grace. She's the executive director of the Chicago Community Bond Fund. She said Crystal was being victimized and abused by someone who was not effectively stopped by the current systems. That lack of protection from the systems we claim to keep us safe required that she act in self-defense to survive. And I 100% believe her and I believe that that is what happened. They're trying to say that her killing him was first degree intentional homicide and that it was premeditated. I mean, I almost think that that's all a moot well, point. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, if, if I'm being abused and trafficked and turned out and uh, beaten, uh, I'm going to premeditatively try to get my way out of that situation. Uh, but I mean, in the anyway, you know what? We could do a whole podcast on this story, but yes, we could. Uh Yes, we absolutely could. And this yeah. is why I'll never be able to run for Congress, because there's a sound clip of me advocating for murder. But that's where uh, <laughs> that's where that story ends, and a new one begins to move on to another rapist, Ron Jeremy. <laughs> Everybody's heard of this guy or seen this guy. He's a porn star who's just really... He just sends a disgusting shiver down your spine, I think, when you when you look at him. He just looks like a fucking creep. Sorry to look shame, but that paired with the knowledge of uh, what he's done for his whole life as a career, it's kind of hard not to do that. But he's been charged with raping three women and, sexual and sexually assaulting a fourth woman. This happened on Tuesday in L.A. County, and it's a result of a task force Jackie Lacey, a district attorney, brought together to investigate sexual misconduct in the entertainment industry after the hashtag MeToo movement brought justice to Harvey Weinstein. Uh, and other people. So he is scheduled to be arraigned uh, later today, actually, on Tuesday. And he's charged with three counts of forcible rape and forcible penetration by a foreign object and one count each of forcible oral copulation and sexual battery. If he gets convicted for all those things, he could face 90 years in prison. And his bail, prosecutors are asking for a bail to be set at $6.6 million dollars. And um, we'll see where that story goes. I mean, he's so fucking rich. It's it's like, unless he's bad with his money, he should be rich. But who knows? <laughs> who knows? How and he these aren't old cases either. These all happened since 2014. Yep. Uh, in Hollywood. Yep. First one happened in West Hollywood at a home in May 2014. That was a 25-year-old woman who he raped. He sexually assaulted a 33-year-old woman and a 46-year-old woman in separate incidents at a bar in 2017 and he raped a 30 year old woman at the same bar in july of 2018 uh, i'm sorry 2019 so you're right they're re they're very recent cases um i hate that that's even something that we have to consider the statute of limitations on those cases or just this concept of a case being old and therefore less valid but that's the limits that our court system has and um we'll see 
where that case goes. My final story is a good story. It's coming out of uh, Kentucky. So Kentucky has their primaries today, and they are projecting a turnout that will exceed 1 million, which if that happens, it's going to completely blow blow out their previous record of 922,456 primary voters. That record was set back in 2008. And even though there's so, so, so many fewer polling locations that are set up in person because of COVID, there's been a immense, immense increase in these absentee ballots and mail-in voter ballots to the point where there's hope that it's going to break that record. Um, This would be incredible, and I hope that it's a trend that we see continued all the way up until November and for the rest of time. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't, oh, mm-hmm. wouldn't that be fantastic? As of 3.30 p.m. today, though, their time, about 580,000 absentee ballots had been received. Uh, about 110,000 ballots had been cast so far in person on Tuesday, and another 100,000 voters cast their ballots early and in person. So I, I've also seen reports, though, of more voter suppression happening in various polling locations, reports of locations opening late, and those kinds of things. So it's it's definitely, I mean, every single primary we have, we're going to see some bullshit. I think we 100% mm-hmm. just need to understand that and be fighting against that preemptively as much as we can, especially leading up to the presidential mm-hmm. election. Yeah. And this, um, you know, we were expecting a, a shit show in Louisville uh, because they only have one voting site. Mm-hmm. But because of mail-in voting, they are not seeing delays there, although Le- Lexington's lone polling sites did have long lines mm-hmm. uh, at some points. And an advocacy group, advocacy groups are calling for extended voting times in Kentucky because of long lines in other areas mm-hmm. uh, in some of the state's largest cities. That's the ACLU of Kentucky and the state's NAACP and other groups sent a letter to the state board of election uh, requesting a one-hour extension in counties that have had long lines. Uh, yep. Polls in that state's eastern time close at 6 p.m., which is uh, about an hour ago. So Yeah. I was signed up for phone banking for Charles Booker in Kentucky today, actually, and then I got a notification right before I was supposed to do it asking if I'd be willing to switch over to Jamal Bowman in New York, which, of course, I was willing, obviously. And, like, no, I only want to specifically fuck Mitch McConnell. If I can't be a part of that exclusively, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, <laughs> but that is how strongly I feel about hating him. But but, but yeah, I I think that the the idea of you know people being asked to divert their efforts over to Jamal instead hopefully means that they were thinking they're in a good enough spot in Kentucky right now with his candidacy. That would be great. Mm. That would be really really great yeah. if that's the case. And. And hats off to Kentucky um, for, because, you know, I was saying, oh, my God, they've gone from 2,700 polling places to 200. They have 615,000 people voting at one polling place. And people were pushing back like, hey, we got this. We got mail-in ballots. We're going to be good. And there have been some delays, but it seems to be going overall uh, smoothly. So, you know, hey, uh, I'll eat crow on that. And hats off to Kentucky. And it's all, I think it all has to do with, um, the Kentucky governor and, and mm-hmm. the leadership there and the mail in voting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so congratulations to Kentucky for, for pulling it off. Def- and uh, sorry if I doubted you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's not over yet. Who knows? We could have some really <laughs> shitty news come in a little bit later about all of that, but fingers crossed for it being 
more of a success than it was maybe anticipated to be. Uh, one last thing I wanted to say that I learned doing some phone banking stuff today. I talked to someone who said that she got her absentee ballot today and it's due today. It has to be in the mail postmarked by 5 p.m., I believe. So she said, and others in this group said that that's a really big issue that they're facing, that their absentee ballots are arriving super late. So if you want to like, you know, there's hotlines for you to call all of your local Democratic Party offices and let them know things like that, that you've encountered or you've heard people have encountered and really let them hear it. Let them hear, let them hear the stories of these people that, you know, got their shit the same day. Like I talked to her and she was like, ah, oh, can I just do it tomorrow? And I'm like, I totally get that, but you literally can't. <laughs> you like have to, you have to do it. You have to do it today. And she was like, ah, oh, I'm so grumpy. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> but you did, but she did it. She, <laughs> she yeah. did it. She said she was going to do it. Who knows? But, well, but yeah, but I, but I think, um, even as we're seeing a lot of success and a lot of high number turnouts centered around this absentee and mail-in voting, there's still a lot of work to be done to make sure that it's accessible in a timely fashion for everybody. Yep. Agreed. And make sure you call your, uh, voter registrar and, uh, ask what's up. And what, like we talked with, uh, Jenny Cohn, everybody head to the polls, uh, hang out, make sure shit's going down right you know um you're allowed to do that so i mean sometimes they go like you can't loiter within 20 feet or whatever but you definitely can't campaign i mean there's rules different rules for every district but you know take an active role i, I think and but like i know y'all will anyway so mm-hmm. yeah, thank you for taking an active role um We're going to go to a quick break. Um, House Judiciary Chair Jerry Nadler told Rachel Maddow last night he was going to subpoena Bill Barr. Ooh, I'm so scared of Nadler subpoenas. But (laughs) we will be right back to discuss that with former federal prosecutor and CNN contributor Ellie Honig. So stay with us. Hey, friends, this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Ancestry.com. It has been more than 75 years since many courageous soldiers, maybe even someone related to you, left home to fight for the highest possible purpose. You can explore Ancestry's new collection of untold stories from World War II and then find and honor the veterans in your family who served. You may be familiar with the major events and battles of World War II, but there are so many more stories to uncover. Discover the diverse perspectives of those who were there and learn about the untold stories of the men and women who faced World War II with dignity and courage. The skill and bravery of the Tuskegee Airmen, for example, and all African-American squad of fighter pilots, or the incredible women who trained to become pilots and mechanics, or there's the Japanese-American battalion that became one of America's most decorated units despite heavy discrimination against Japanese-Americans at the time. In honor of the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II, Ancestry has just released a U.S. draft card collection from World War II with over 36 million draft cards completed by fighting-age men in the United States across the country during that time, whether they ended up serving or not. So there's a great chance you could find a relative in this collection, and it can help you learn more about what their lives were like. Uncover your ancestors' personal details on World War II U.S. draft card collection, which shows details like home address, physical description, and more. So find and honor the veterans in your family who rose to the occasion when the world needed them the most, and get a new take on their World War II experience. Discover your untold stories and more. Head to our URL at Ancestry.com slash Daily Beans to start discovering your story today. That's Ancestry.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. I am joined today by former federal and state prosecutor and CNN legal analyst Ellie Honig. Ellie, thanks for speaking with me today. My pleasure. We always have always new stuff that we did not even think about a week ago. It pops up just no notice. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. And this one comes from last night. And you came to the top of my head when I saw <laughs> Gerald Nadler, uh, who is the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, 
uh, on Maddow. And yeah. uh, he had said that, uh, you know, Bill Barr hasn't hasn't appeared uh, before that committee. And he said, well, that's enough. I'm putting my foot down. He's going to subpoena Bill Barr. And I think we were all supposed to and Maddow was supposed to go, oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank the Lord that you're going to finally put some teeth behind uh, everything that you're doing. Uh, but, you know, uh, where are we with a subpoena? I mean, yeah. Well, let me say this. It's a necessary first step, but it's nowhere near Jerry Nadler doing his job. And Jerry Nadler has, I think, failed miserably in his job as chair of the House Judiciary Committee. Really, look, he's let's let's go for the last two years, because that's that's the time period of this particular Congress. First of all, the only branch of government that is not in Republican control right now is the House of Representatives. And we have a an out-of-control attorney general in William Barr, and the Justice Department is being battered like never before. And so a lot of responsibility falls on the chair of the Judiciary Committee. And I think Nadler has completely failed in his in his job so far. So let me let me back that up. Starts with the Mueller report. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to get there. That, uh, what was it, a uh, April, May, June, July, four-month delay? Well, so right. Mueller report comes out, and, now, and, and, and Mueller, again, to his discredit, is not clear in his conclusions. He should have been more clear. He should have. I know he can't charge the president, but he could have said, I find that this evidence is sufficient for obstruction of justice. But he did the whole, if I could clear, I would, but I won't. Blah, blah, blah. So in, into that breach steps Bill Barr, who immediately starts distorting and spinning and all that. And, and, but it, but it, now it's Jerry Nadler's move. And Jerry Nadler wants to hold hearings and get more information in front of the American public. Here we are. It, it's almost a year later. What hearing, what public hearing of any substance did Jerry Nadler ever manage to hold on follow-up to Mueller? Mm. Do you remember? There was one, mm. one, mm-hmm. Corey Lewandowski, which was yep. a complete S show. I'm not going to, I know there's cursing aloud on this podcast, but I'm going to call it an S show um, and, and a complete joke. And the problem with Nadler's approach is he has either asked politely for testimony that was promptly blown off, occasionally subpoenaed people who took their subpoenas and threw them in the garbage. And the only one he went to fight for was Don McGahn. Now, it took him four months. He subpoenaed Don McGahn in April. He In August, four months later, he finally went to court on Don McGahn. And here we are almost a year later, and it's still in the court of appeals level. Now, I think Nadler's people would say, well, he, he, he fought for McGahn and he, and he asked for expedited ruling, to which I say, nonsense. Four months, when you, first of all, when you wait four months, it's hard to go into a court and say we need this expedited. Second of all, asking for an expedited ruling is one thing. Convincing a judge that you need it is another thing, and that's your job. Mm-hmm. And by the way, judges can move as fast as they damn well want. People go, well, it's the court system. It's inherently slow. Nonsense. Look at John Bolton mm-hmm. last week with his book, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, we went from the Trump administration filing a complaint to a hearing to a ruling in the course of, what, three days? So – Judges, if you convince them that this has to be dealt with immediately, they'll do it. They'll do it. So Nadler has completely failed to back up his own subpoenas. As a result, I think not only not only has he failed to do his job, I think he's damaged Congress and it and its oversight ability. Yeah, and we, you know, also there was the July twenty seventh filing to get the Mueller grand jury materials, which came uh, multiple months after the Mueller report was uh, released, and then. I believe he he subpoenaed and then threatened contempt for Bill Barr, and Bill Barr sort of talked him out of it uh, at one point. I think that was him. Um, and then, of 
you know, but to give a little grace to Mueller here, uh, he didn't declare the, the, I don't think, or he explained the reason he didn't declare the president a criminal uh, was because he was afraid it would uh, be prejudicial in future prosecutions and was answering the question as to when he leaves office, can he be indicted when Ken Buck was surprised by the answer? Yes. <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite moments in the in the Mueller testimony, because the whole time he was either just reading and referencing his own report or <laughs> saying, I take your question. Uh, but then, you know, Ken Buck, Republican, says, you, you, can he be indicted when he leaves office? And he's just saying, yeah, yes. <laughs> of course he can. Yeah. Of course. But but let me say, though, I, I, let me push back. I know I know that was Mueller's re- rationale he gave for why he didn't state his conclusion. Clearly, he didn't want to prejudice a jury, I guess, against the president, to which I say, OK, but isn't that vastly outweighed by the effect of having your entire report undermined and all of your invest and your investigation essentially amount to nothing? Wow. Um, he did write a letter. He did go to paper. Uh, you know, which which to him is uh, volcanic and to us is is like, oh, thanks for the letter. Yeah, of course you do that. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, we we were a little different in the way we expect um, uh, our gratification to be a little more instant. Uh, yes. In, in this world than uh, the old the old school, you know, Department of Justice way. Um, but so here we go. Uh, subpoena. You know, and and if that happens next, of course, Barr will ignore it under some sort of blanket immunity privilege. Then, of course, it'll go to court. And then what, two years from now? Uh, Because didn't didn't this happen with the his OLC memo on Iran-Contra? They like brought him in and finally uh, were able to get him in like a year after he left the job. (laughs) Right. And uh, and and because of that, uh, you know, weird Office of Legal Counsel memo that said you can abduct people on foreign lands or whatever the fuck, like whatever you need to do to justify it. Yeah. I mean, let's let's also remember this. Bill Barr has a long history of leaving Jerry Nadler at the altar, so to speak. I mean, if you remember last year in May, Bill Barr was commanded or or requested to testify about the Mueller report. And on May 1, he went into the Senate, the Republican-controlled Senate, and he testified all day. And on May 2, he was supposed to go into the House, and he said, nah, no show. I'm good. And what did the House do about it? Do you remember the strong action that Jerry Nadler's committee did to strike him back at the AG for standing them up? Was was that when he threatened contempt but didn't go through with it, or was that a different? Of course, that was part of it. But I mean the theatrics, the fried oh. chicken. Oh, remember? Yes. Oh, Cohen. they had an empty chair and they ate chicken and they ate KFC and like, I, I mean, great, good work, Jerry Nadler. I mean, it wasn't him; it was it was his committee. It was Steve Cohen, but mm-hmm. good work, Judiciary Committee, really effective, right? Mm-hmm. And then again, just recently. Bill Barr said, we demand your testimony. Uh, I'm sorry, Jerry Nadler said, we demand your testimony, Bill Barr, about your response to coronavirus and your use of tear gas against protesters. Mm-hmm. And um, you know what Bill Barr said? He, he, he basically took a line. You know, have you seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Of course. The Sean Penn character, Spicoli, when mm-hmm. he shows up late for class and, and the teacher goes, where were you? And he goes, just couldn't make it on time. That's essentially what. <laughs> yeah, his, his schedule wouldn't uh, permit it. Barr's uh... just like, can't, sorry, dude, can't swing it. You know, yeah, and that now there just gets run over time and again. So now he's going to subpoena him. So what happens on the subpoena? Well, it, it's up. Here's what I would say if if, if I was advising Jerry Nadler, and unfortunately because he's put himself in this position, he has very little time left. But subpoena him immediately. Give him a make the return date, the date he has to come in and testify, Monday. You know, you can't make it, to, but Monday. And if he doesn't come on Monday, have your papers ready and walk over to district court in D.C. And and convince the judge, I need you to hear this 
on Wednesday. And then the judge, I believe, would, given the urgency of it. And then, look, you, you may have a, a round or two of litigation and appeals and restraining orders, but it's up to Nadler to fight in court. And all we've heard from Nadler's people is it's too hard. It takes too long. Why? Why? OK, then better to just lay down and be, and be a doormat for, for Barr. That's what you're going to do then. Yeah. Do your duty uh, as an elected member of Congress, particularly the Judiciary Committee. It's the fucking Judiciary Committee. That's your job. And and so, I, I mean, he's not going to do that. Um, let's be let's be realistic, because he's already said, oh, there's just no time to impeach Bill Barr. We have an election coming up. And, uh, you know, he's doing the whole song and dance of basically uh talking us out of it using GOP talking points, <laughs> which was, it's like. He's wasted time. He's dragged his feet. He's gotten nothing done for the last year and change. And now he's saying, well, but it's too late to do anything. I mean, you know, he, that, when he was on with Jake Tapper uh, uh, this past weekend, he, he spent the whole time explaining why he couldn't do things. He really wanted to. And, you know, Nadler's never short on rhetoric. I mean, he doesn't have a particularly fiery way of, of delivering it, but he talks about, I demand accountability and this is corruption at the highest levels. And I see High crimes and misdemeanors. So he's, he, you know, he's got the, the the rhetoric down, but the action is just nowhere. Yeah, I, uh, some some days I wish Adam Schiff was heading up the judiciary. Um, well, I'm glad you mentioned that because it, that's we also, did that in the impeachment, didn't we? Right. I mean, the Ukraine impeachment. It was clear what happened. Nadler had it as judiciary, and Nancy Pelosi had to organize or, or you know, orchestrate a polite to Nadler, but transition of duties over to Intel, to Adam Schiff and, and my friend Dan Goldman, who got it done incredibly effectively and quickly. And then they kicked it back over to Nadler for the ceremonial vote once they were done putting on all the witnesses. So it was obvious to all what was happening there, that the decision was made. Nadler can't do this, but we don't want to totally humiliate him. So we'll still let him take the ceremonial vote and hit the gavel at the end. Um, yeah. But he failed there, too. Yeah. Now, though, however, uh, uh, to to stop the uh the Nadler bashing train for a second, which I'm <laughs> sorry. Which, I'm, hey, I'm on with you for, for a lot of this. Yep. Uh, but have you seen yet, this is breaking, the uh, statements, opening statements for Elias and Zelensky, uh, who who will be, yeah, uh, pretty explosive stuff. Zelensky saying it was the highest levels of the Department of Justice that were interfering uh, on behalf for political reasons, because Stone was close with Trump. And then also uh, he is uh, expected to testify that he's never seen anything like this. Obviously, it's totally unprecedented. Wow. And that the D.C. U.S. attorney, uh, I'm assuming it was Jesse Leo at the time, was being pressured uh, to go easy on Stone by the highest levels of Department of Justice. And that the acting D.C. U.S. attorney, who I assume to be Tim Shea, was was intervening on behalf of high level DOJ officials because he was afraid of the president. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it, it's kind of what we all assumed. I think it was the logical assumption from from the way things played out. But yeah, yeah, we knew um, this. But now we're having confirmation. And what are they going to do? Say that I'm sure I I was going to say it sarcastically, but they probably will. What are they going to do? Say this guy's a liar, but I'm sure they will because that's how they play. Yeah. And, and one of the interesting things that uh, I saw in, in uh, at least Zelensky's opening statement is he's like, I'm sure that the Department of Justice is going to try to shield a lot of my answers using a privilege assertion. Uh, and, and he said, I, I'm willing to, uh, you know, uh, cede to those uh, assertions of privilege. However, I will not cede uh, when the answer is about government corruption and uh you know illegality or et cetera et cetera so he's he's 
doesn't seem like he's going to be bullshitting, although he's a current DOJ employee. I don't know that he'll be there that long. Good for him. Yep, good for him. Yeah. So, I, I give him a lot of credit, and, and it'll be interesting to see him testify. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, I think he'll conf- I think he's going to confirm a lot of the worst that we suspected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and uh, will it make a difference? Uh, I, I don't think, you know, having, having already heard Nadler said he's not interested in impeaching uh, the president or Bill Barr, mm. I don't know, but uh, I think it is important and of public interest. So, well, you know. we have to know. Yeah, I mean that's the the next best thing. I, even if Nadler's not going to take any action, there is value in the world knowing what happened. Yeah, a hundred percent. All right. Well, thank you very much for answering these questions. Uh, I I appreciate it. You have a you have a wonderful rest of your week. Um, Thanks, <laughs> Ellie Honig, right? CNN legal contributor, former federal and state prosecutor. We'll be right back after this quick message with Jordan Coburn and the Good News Block. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and today's Helping of the Daily Beans is brought to you by Helix Sleep. I know a lot of you out there are sleeping on an old trash mattress with springs poking you and cratering pockets that put cricks in your spine. And you deserve better. You deserve better than that. Our listeners have earned guilt-free good night's sleep uh, just for being on the right side of history and resisting these insane times. And after working this hard and being this stressed, you deserve to give yourself an upgrade in relaxation. So I recommend Helix Sleep. Helix made the difference for me personally because Helix understands that each one of us is different and they customize their mattress to fit you and the way you sleep best. You don't want to buy a generic mattress built for everyone when you can get a mattress designed just for you. Uh, uh, Whether you're a side sleeper or a back sleeper, hot sleeper, cool sleeper, if you like soft or firm beds, with Helix there's no more confusion and no more compromising. Helix Sleep matches your body type and sleep preferences to their perfect mattress for you. You just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, you take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they will match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. You've heard me talk about mine. Joelle and Mandy have talked about theirs. Jordan's talked about hers. It is seriously the best mattress ever. They were awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by GQ and Wired. They have a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 sleeps, risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you definitely will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And joining me today for the good news block is Jordan Coburn. Hello. Hello. I'm back. <laughs> Guess who's back? <laughs> so we have some good news stories uh, for today. Um, let's see here. Let me kick this off with uh, a good news story from Anonymous. Uh, pronouns she, her. Uh, Anonymous says, hello, pod people and pod pets. You are such sanity savers. Thank you for all your work. With so much hard stuff happening in the world, there's still little stuff that's a big deal, and I need to share our good news. I'm so damn proud of my boys. Our oldest just graduated from college, a kid who spent years in special ed, who lives life on the spectrum, who now holds a degree. Not a great time to be entering the job market, especially in his chosen field, but this is good news, so I'll not get into that. The upside is that we're doing well, and we can continue to support him while he finds his feet. Our younger son, who lives with anxiety and is a a very social person, um, 
missing his people very badly, by the way, during this isolation, just passed his junior year of high school, even math, his nemesis. <laughs> he pushed he pushed through the boredom and the hatred of math. I mean, really, it was bad. Sailed through English and history and science, the easy subjects as far as he's concerned. And now he's a rising uh, senior and is actually excited to start working on college essays this summer. Both boys are engaged with the wider world. Both are happy to uh, give me long, hard hugs whenever I ask for them. And I'm so excited to see what these young men, my husband and I, have poured so much love and tears and hard work into will do with their lives. Y'all, Gen Z is here, not just for fake tickets, and they're going to do good things. Listen to them. They're amazing people. P.S. Both boys also get most of AG's pop culture references. Their father and I take 100% credit for that. Proper parenting for the win. It's <laughs> awesome. Nice. Nice. So nice. Uh, you get you get to drink from the fire hose. You found the marble in the oatmeal. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what either what of from, those boys. things. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. The marble in the oatmeal. That sounds like Final Destination meets Goldilocks. Terrifying. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Kind of. I'm not going to give it away. Aww. We'll talk about it later. All right. Suspense. I like it. Uh, that was <laughs> cliffhanger. <laughs> yes. That was, uh, that's lovely. I totally agree. Gen Z is going to kick ass, dude. Can you, I was just thinking about this the other day, like the amount of things that those kids have gone through, they've seen in the last four years, a march on Washington for women, a march on Washington for guns or lack thereof, gun control. And they've also seen a march, uh, for justice for George Floyd and all the other black lives that are lost. And it's, it's truly the most um i think moving time right now it's it's the most politicized i can imagine a group of kids a a single generation has been since like the 60s yes the sleeping giant we've been just sort of trudging along like kind of happy and apathetic for the last few decades and now we're in this incredible upheaval of civil rights and and action and it's just it's an incredible time to to be alive it it is exhausting and it's there's so much anxiety and and stress but i i think um you know i i gotta i gotta think we'll come out of it stronger and um this i i have hope me too me too because of these zoomers yep speaking of hope uh next up and good news from an anonymous little old lady. <laughs> Not me. I didn't uh, do it. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea of calling yourself anonymous and then still revealing details about yourself. That's fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anonymous, five foot four, 62 years old, <laughs> yeah. live in Lexington, Kentucky, yes. and my favorite color is blue. Precisely. Uh, good news. I managed to rebuke a MAGA guy without getting shot while I was paying for my groceries. Oh. <laughs> a guy at the back of the line in a MAGA hat with no mask obviously, was yelling at the people in front of him to move up so he could put his stuff on the conveyor belt. The others in line refused to move up and break the six-feet distancing rule. When the cashier didn't say anything to the MAGA guy, I knew I had to do something, so in my sweetest little old lady voice, I praised and thanked the others in line for staying six feet away from everybody. The MAGA guy heard me, and he looked shocked and confused, but he shut the fuck up. Sometimes the indirect rebuke is the best, is the sweetest of all. I agree. Passive aggression for the win. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's like a bitch slap by proxy yeah i love it right and 
have you seen this video of the guy that tried to shove his way into a Walmart without a mask? Yes. Oh, I love that video. The only thing I kept thinking to myself was, had he only complied, um, you know, which we hear so many times Uh uh, from people supporting police brutality for whoever, how someone can support that, I don't understand. But oh my God, pushing his way, shoving his way, falls down on his face, has to get into the fucking Walmart for whatever fucking reason. Uh, but yeah, he was on a mission and uh, it was really, really embarrassing. So this is what mm-hmm. Walmart Walmart creates these zombie consumer capitalists. This is exactly what Walmart wants to see <laughs> is those people just blindly putting themselves in danger so that they can go buy a TV that's ten dollars less than it would be somewhere else. <laughs> Fucking hate and Walmart. They pass that savings. They pass that savings on to not paying their employees. Right, and not giving them any full time hours, so they have to pay them benefits. Right, really? we do, we do. Yes, uh, we so do. we pay them benefits in in the in right. the form of uh, tax, them, you know, food yep. assistance, and and childcare assistance. Uh, anyway, yep. good good news block. Yeah, good news block <laughs> from uh from Mal, uh she her. Uh, My state, Colorado, just passed a police reform bill to limit qualified immunity, among other things, in 16 days. I don't think it's a literal record, but damn near. I haven't seen much news covering this outside of Colorado, and it's not a complete solution by any means, but I think it's a nice sign that concentrated public pressure does get results. The Denver Post had a pretty good article talking about the bill. Uh, and the passing process here. So it only took 16 days. Mal, thanks for that. I think, did, Jordan, did you cover that yesterday? I, I did, yeah, totally. Yeah. Very, very, very good awesome. news. Awesome. Hope that happens in every state. Definitely. It needs to. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Next up from Smelling Good in Central Illinois, pronoun she, her. Um, <sighs> Hi, ladies. I love listening to you guys on my daily walks. You make exercise so much less painful. I wanted to share some good news slash schadenfreude. I participated in the blackout day earlier this month by buying candles and a car freshener from a black-owned Etsy shop instead of ordering from a well-known chain I typically do. I received my order right before Juneteenth and raved about it on my Instagram page on Juneteenth, hoping my friends would place orders to support her small business as well as part of the weekend celebrations. A woman that I grew up with commented on my post and said she's just placed a very large order because she had just been looking for a boutique candle store. Now, that enough was good news to feel like I'm helping support a small black-owned business, but this woman and I drifted apart because she was becoming increasingly conservative and quite often intolerably intolerant on social slash social justice (laughs) issues. For example, she lost her absolute best friend from grade school because he came out as gay and later queer because she was not capable of accepting him as his true self. Yeah, a real gem of a human. I take great delight knowing that despite all her bullshit from... (laughs) She said, uh... BS, but I decided to expand it for her. All, all, all her bullshit from you. I don't want anyone to think that smelling good in central Illinois is a uh, sailor mouth. This is strictly Jordan informed. All of her bullshit from years earlier. I secretly got her to participate in the Juneteenth celebration slash Black Lives Matter movement without her knowing. Insert smiling devil emoji. Schadenfreude. In case you were wondering, the Etsy shop is called Wix Nola. That's spelled W I C K S. N-O-L-A, and her fragrances are fantastic if you're looking for candles right now. She has a limited edition fragrance called No Justice, No Peace, where proceeds from the candle go toward a local New Orleans nonprofit. That is amazing! I'm going to order shit from there right now. I have so many candles in my house. It is a fire hazard. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Same Z's. That's a great idea. I love inadvertently roping in 
conservative drifters into the cause. <laughs> Very good shot, Freida. Yeah. Do you remember when we all uh, donated to ACLU on behalf of Mike Pence? Mm. Uh, and I know that I know that we did that uh, for. Um, oh, it was one of the um, one of the transgender. Um, charities that you know helps mostly with kids Mm -hmm. um transgender kids uh and you know everybody was donating in mike pence's name that happened pretty shortly after the election i remember uh we did a whole postcard writing campaign and everybody made donations in his name i i i I do think that this is amazing and and i'm totally going to wix nola because i want the uh no justice no peace candle Mm -hmm. me too thank you so much for letting us Mm -hmm. all know about that (laughs) That's it. All right. That's all well, our good those, news. Yeah, those are our good news stories for the day. Uh, please send them in. You know where to go. Uh, just look for us, and it'll you go to our website, and uh, <laughs> it's 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 there. It's easy to find. And uh, submit there, or you can submit at our pin tweet at Daily Beans Pod. We're getting close to twenty thousand followers. We're still planning on having uh, on flying out me and uh, the network. Um, a CEO for Starburns to as soon as you know travel is available to come visit you and in the meantime we can have like an online get together or whatever um but as soon as we hit 20,000 followers we're, we'll pick somebody and we're very close so head over there and follow us if you're not and that, that pin tweet is where you can submit good news and quarantine confessions we have a new episode coming out Saturday and of course Friday is our meet and greet and so Jordan we've had a couple of ideas for themes we've had uh, Animal Crossing, and then someone said summertime. Like, get your beach on. That's fun. The beach on for me includes full length white cotton shirts and sweatpants <laughs> because I do not trust the sun. I would rather enter the ocean in full garments. But if you all want to dress up in bathing suits, that'd be that sounds great. <laughs> uh, you know, ponytail and uh, some sunglasses, some yes. stunners. Yes. Um. A, a drink with an umbrella in it, uh, you know, summertime. And if you have any ideas, hit us up at Muller She Wrote on Twitter at Daily Beans Pod, or you can email us or contact us through the website. We look forward to your submissions, and we look forward to seeing you Friday, 4 p.m. Pacific for patrons, 5 p.m. for the public. We'll tweet out the link, and it will be fun. It's always fun. It really is. I do. I look forward to it every week. All right. Well, that's our show. Do you have any final thoughts? <laughs> oh God, <laughs> you got me again. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I don't <Surprise>. think so. <laughs> I was like when uh when I tried to invite my sis- like uh, some of my family members to my birthday in Vegas one year, um somebody had to back out at the last minute because they forgot rent was due on the 1st. And I was Oy. like that's usually when it happens. And they had to deliver um, in person? I, I I guess they just didn't have the money. Um, ah, got it. But, that makes sense. Uh, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to walk the money over in cash. Like, um, oh, I forgot I have this long-standing payment I'm required to make once a month for twelve <laughs> payments a year for the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, I forgot I have this whole oh. reason I have a job. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, that's oh shelter Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yep. <laughs> Vegas isn't on the bottom. Uh, All right. Well, everybody, uh, we will see you soon. And uh, until then, uh, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. Your name's The Beans. 
The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>